0: Welcome to our next episode in our Work Healthy podcast series. I'm John Ryan, and thanks for joining us. Today's topic is anxiety, and we're delighted to have an expert on that subject. Someone who herself has suffered, but has found a way to turn it into a strength Mora Arons mele is the author of Hiding in the Bathroom and The Anxious Achiever and has her own LinkedIn podcast series also called The Anxious Achiever, which is currently on episode 141 and counting. Mora is on a mission to reframe how we think about anxiety and mental health in the workplace. Anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness and she believes that we need better models for leadership. And a more holistic view of mental health. In today's podcast, we learn about the difference between stress, depression, and anxiety, the different types of anxiety, the triggers you face, and how you can use your anxiety to be a better leader. Unusually, today, we start with a poem from Maura's book Performance without rehearsal, body without alterations, head without premeditation. I know nothing of the role I play. I only know it's mine. I can't exchange it. I have to guess on the spot just what this play is all about. Ill prepared for the privilege of living. I can barely keep up with the pace that the action demands. I improvise, although I loathe improvisation. Now, if that is life and if that is the life we're leading, my first question to you, Maura, is why is everybody not anxious all of the time?
1: <laughs> oh, gosh, I love that poem. Thank you so much for reading it. It's been months since I've looked at it, right? And, um, I, I just love it so much. That's from actually from my my minister at my um, at the church I go to, the Unitarian Universalist Church. Um, I, I think most people are anxious a lot. You know, anxiety is a natural emotion; it's part of the human condition. And um, when we're thrust into experiences that tax us, times that are very uncertain we feel very anxious, you know? And so I think a lot of us are improvising all the time, even though we're terrified of improvisation.
0: Mm, mm. And um, life itself is a struggle. I think um, often, (laughs) oftentimes when, you know, uh, when you kind of come to that conclusion and share that with people, they kind of go, it is, isn't it? (laughs) Like it's it's messy.
1: (laughs) Life is a struggle. And, um, you know, even even those of us who are very privileged in this life, you know, experience hardship. It's funny, I always I tell my kids all the time that, you know, like a lot of kids are crappy. They're I won't swear, but they're kind of S H I Ts. And yeah. my kids look at me and they're like, Mom, you're not supposed to say that. And I'm like, Well, it's true. Like a lot of people aren't nice. A lot of people are jerks. A lot of you know, I, I think I'm I'm kind of dark and I I believe in um acknowledging the um less kind aspects of our nature in this world and uh and teaching my kids also to cope with it
0: so we're a bunch of um you know uh, the human condition is pretty flawed isn't it and (laughs) we have to interact with ourselves and other flawed people all of the time so uh, that's what the
1: philosophers wrote (laughs) and
0: actually when when you look at, at your past i mean You know the way the certain sort of maybe career choices um, that might lead us into more anxious uh, sort of situations, politics by its nature, you were involved at the highest level. And you know, there's a sense like, are you being paranoid? Everybody can't sort of hate you and want you to um, screw up. But essentially in politics, it's a lot like that. So was that a really bad choice for you?
1: (laughs) That's so funny, John. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. But, you know, when you're in politics, something really interesting happens, which is that the candidate becomes this demigod figure, even if the candidate is ridiculous at times, which they all are because they're human. And so it's a bunch of people coalescing around, usually it's a man, unfortunately, but Mm -hmm. around a man who is a symbol and who offers promise and excitement and, you know, it's, it's a lot like when you, you join a company and there's a famous founder, right? I mean, so, so part of it is that you feel that you want to protect, you're part of a tribe. It becomes a little bit like that and you want to protect your candidate, Mm -hmm. you know? And so that is really exhilarating as well. You mm. really get this sense that you're in it for the cause and for the candidate. And so you really develop an us versus them mentality.
0: Mm. And it's interesting I say that because I actually uh, stood for local elections myself in Ireland. And uh, so I was uh, elected, luckily enough, for 15 years. But I actually had to. I i, I left politics simply because I didn't like what I was becoming um, because mm. all of the negativity. It just wasn't where I wanted to be, um, and that that sense, and there was a lot of uh, anxiety when you're debating, and um, yeah, you know, you've got to think very fast on your feet uh, because everybody's kind of having a go at your ideas, and in some cases, they're having a go at you too, you know. So uh, I was just really interested that somebody who's become an expert in anxiety um, would have spent so much time in politics because it's, it's not a particularly well, nice place.
1: It's not, but I think it's also a great place to put your anxiety. I mean, if you're anxious, it gives you endless opportunities, and you know, anxious people are really good in anxious situations. Mm. I'm curious when you were when you were in elected office, are you, are you introverted or extroverted
0: mostly? Um, you know, funnily enough, if if you were to ask other people, they'd say I'm very extroverted, but I actually personally think uh, there's an introverted part to me, uh, which privately I'm introverted, and um, ex- you know, yeah. publicly I'm more extroverted. Um, but equally, you know, I do enjoy getting up front of an audience and you know doing a speech. I actually enjoy that. That gives me energy. So it seems. Alison, listen. Uh, my wife says I'm a contradiction. So <laughs>
1: that's I'm the that's same. The truth of it. <laughs> but oh, there's enjoyable. a lot of us introverts. There's I call us I call us hams ham introverts. Like we love the spotlight. We love being on stage. But you know, we also need a lot of alone time and,
0: and yeah, oh, absolutely yeah. for the energy piece. I mean, like, I I suppose the broader uh, thing that I'm kind of trying to get my head around um, is, uh, you know, the broader discussion around mental health and the like, is, are we becoming a more anxious society? Or is it that we're simply more comfortable talking about it now and people are using the language more? So therefore, everybody's sort of saying, "Okay, Uh, it's not that we're becoming more anxious, it's that we're talking about it more. Which, where would you lie on
1: that? Oh, this is such a difficult question. I I don't, there's no data, right? I mean, Mm. even the data is probably flawed because they didn't ask these right to your point. They didn't ask these questions. You know, I can't imagine that we are more anxious than we were when our physical beings were literally at risk every day or when mothers, you know, expected their children to not make it past five years old or during war and, and the blitz in London. And, you know, so, so I can't imagine we're more anxious. You know, the, the, the famous psychologist Rollo May wrote in the sixties that, you know, we're sort of in a, we're sort of in a fix because we still have the same drive to protect ourselves against predators who might jump out and eat us. But the predators have become, for many of us, our boss, Mm, people mm. in our life, people at work, a meeting we have, a challenge we have with the fact that we don't feel like we're successful enough. Does our partner still love us, right? So so I, I think for a lot of us who live, fortunately, lives where our, our physical being is not under threat every day, we still have the same impulse towards anxiety, but we put it into places that perhaps even don't merit that level of emotion, and that's mm. that's the disconnect.
0: Mm. So, in the past, I think it's funny, you know, um, in in the old days, uh, people used to die of old age, whereas now people always die of something. (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) They don't mm -hmm. wrap it up as old age anymore. So I'm just wondering, in the old days, were people worriers? Whereas now we have mental health issues and we have anxiety and the like. Um, So is the language changing and maybe we just still have the human condition and it's natural?
1: I mean, when you look back through history and there's a lot of scholarship around this, of course, mental illness was present always. I um, I always look to Abraham Lincoln as an example, right? I mean, Abraham Lincoln now would have a million mental illness diagnoses, right? He was clinically depressed. He was often anxious. He was suicidal often. And what's interesting about Lincoln is that his melancholy, what he called the hypo, that's what he called his depression, mm. was well known and he would talk about it. And People around him all knew about it, and so they would help protect him uh, okay and I talk about this in my book. Um, one of one of my favorite historians is Nancy Kane at Harvard Business School, and I really recommend her work and she's a Lincoln scholar and she studies mm. leaders in crisis. Okay. and she looks at anxiety and depression and abject fear and dread and all of these difficult emotions and how they've popped up in history's greatest leaders. And of course they did. And so the the language is different, but humans are humans, right? And our lizard brains still have all these emotions, even though our lives are so different than what our bodies were designed for. Mm. So I think that the language has changed, but ironically, I worry that we maybe even talk about how we feel less certainly than Lincoln did mm. when we're in, when we're in positions of power. Mm.
0: So, a lot of people would be coming to listen to this because what we're seeing in in workplaces, the data coming through, is that there are higher levels of anxiety, and people are, you know, struggling to 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 sleep, and they're not very optimistic about the future. They're just kind of scared. And um, so I'm, ju- I'm just wondering, maybe just from a, a definition point of view, that that kind of piece between stress versus anxiety versus depression and the like, is that a continuum or are they completely separate things?
1: Stress and fear actually are different from anxiety, even though they might feel the same in your body. Right. You might get that rush and that heart rate and your muscles might clench and you might feel that drive of energy stress and fear are technically external, right? So stress is when my boss comes up to me and he throws a sheaf of papers on my desk and says, have those marked up by five. He mm-hmm. has placed an external stressor. Now I probably feel anxiety as a reaction to the stressor that he's placed on me. Cause I think, oh my God, I can't do this. Well, there goes my afternoon. I'm not gonna do a good job, blah, blah, blah. Why does my boss hate me? And fear is similar, right? Where I have something that is a threat to my being You know, maybe I I always use the example if I'm driving and I just pump on the brakes because a car has cut me off that I feel fear. Anxiety would be that maybe I worry this is going to happen every time I get in the car and then next time I'm going to die. Right. So that's anxiety. So I I think it's important to remember that because we use stress and anxiety interchangeably.
0: interchangeably. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Yeah
1: but they're not quite. And theoretically, we have a little more control over stress and, and anxiety, frankly. Um, and then, you know, anxiety itself, like all of mental health exists on, I like to think of it as a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. So anxiety mm-hmm. is a natural emotion. We all feel it. We need it. It keeps us alive. It's ancient. And so that's why all of us feel anxiety, right? When we have a big of, ev- big event that we care about or when we're worried about something, right? And sometimes we need anxiety, right? What neuroscientists call good anxiety. That's really motivating. So, you know, I might be a little anxious before coming on this podcast because I want to perform for you and I want to do a good job. So I'm I'm anxious, but it gives me energy. What I would think of as, as the chronic anxiety that a lot of us are reporting at work, right? It's just this sense that we carry with us that things are not okay, that the future is not going to be good, that bad things are around the corner. We just sort of have the gnawing, you know, worry or the swirl in our heads. Maybe we're not sleeping so well. And then at the bottom end of the spectrum is when anxiety becomes an illness, right? It's a disorder. And um, that is when the anxiety is getting in the way of your functioning of your life, right? And so maybe you are developing so much anxiety that you can't clear your head for a minute and you're having a hard time getting your work done or you've developed a phobia, right? Or you're having panic panic attacks. And that is when, you know, I would really recommend like get help, get professional help because there are great treatments for this because it's super, super common. Anxiety is the most common mental illness in the world. Um, And so it really exists on a spectrum. And so I would just ask listeners to sort of think about how often do I feel that sense of anxiety, right? Am I feeling it every day? Is there a pattern? Am I not sleeping most of the time? Am I waking up with a swirl of thoughts and worries in my head? Are there things that I'm avoiding? I mean, that's a that's a really good cue that anxiety is is getting to be a problem when you sort of start avoiding things that you used to jump into. Um, and so, really, I would I would encourage you if you're listening, you're thinking, "Gosh, you know, I'm really anxious more of the time than I'm not." Um, to think about to getting some help and taking it seriously
0: you you were very honest in this book because during the writing of the book, you actually really hit a low
1: point yourself, didn't you? I did I had I mean, so I had a really bad depression, and I was extremely anxious. I was so anxious I, I really couldn't settle for a minute. i um I have a bipolar two disorder, which means I sort of go up and down, um but it's weird. Like people think that bipolar means like, you know, you're sort of manic and up all night for a couple months and then you crash and then it happens again. And for most of us, that's not what it's like. And certainly if you have bipolar too, which is sort of the less severe kind. So I've had three major depressions in my life, like where I, you know, really needed professional help, could not function, could not work. And this was the third. And, um, you know, I, it's funny, I got COVID right before it, which I think oh, was a wow. factor. Okay, yeah. okay. And, and I was just going through an incredible low point in my life and my business. I had sold my business of many years. And um, and it was, it was so horrible. It was so horrible. And I worried about what my children thought. And, you know, anyone who's been through a deep, deep depression knows the feeling of oh my gosh, it's come back. Is this is how my life's going to be from now on. You mm-hmm. know, you have that feeling of, I can't believe I'm back here. And you're just so hopeless. And it's, life just feels impossible. And um, I, I'm i so lucky because I live in Boston, Massachusetts. I have access to some of the best healthcare in the world. And I tried about six different new drugs. I tried um, transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is a, I call it brain zapping, where they literally send electrodes into your brain. And, And I got better, but it was rough. So as much as I'm a spokesperson for embracing your mental health and living your best life, it's not like I'm done, Yeah, yeah, <laughs> None yeah. Of us so it's
0: it, it's not a case of like i've I've done the course. I'm cured. <laughs> exactly. it's as as in it's something that's always there in the back, potentially. Are you scared that it could come back again or or do you feel you have enough tools in the toolbox to to deal with it when you spot the signs?
1: I'm sure it'll come back again, you know, I'm sure it will. And, um, and that's what's that's what's really hard about living with mental illness, you know. I, you know, on my podcast, I talk to a lot of people who have, you know, a diagnosed mental illness, like mm-hmm. I do, and there is a little bit of a sense of carpe diem, you mm-hmm. know. And so it's like when you feel good, you really want to max things out. I think that's why um, the hypomania that comes with bipolar, and even when you're very you're an anxious person, you're very good at manifesting energy. It's anxious energy. Mm. But you can really manifest energy, and it's sort of the sense that you want to make hay while the sun shines because you don't know what darkness might be around the corner.
0: Mm. I, I, you know, the, the World or you Health might get burnt out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the World Health Organization obviously has that brilliant video where it's the the dog. And this dog following you around, and I, I think it's really powerful in terms of the separation between the two things, you know, uh, and it helps you think about it uh, differently. But it is, I mean, thankfully, I've never suffered from that level of um, depression. And um, but just, just for for people again to understand when when is that moment between anxiety and then suddenly that becoming depression, where now I need to think about medical. Um, uh, consultation but just that that line for people just so that they understand the difference between the two
1: so anxiety and depression are different mm. but as my friend John Mo says they go together like hollow notes <laughs> they don't have great solo careers <laughs> so <laughs> so anxiety is a feeling that um It's almost an anticipation. See, look, I can't talk. An anticipation of bad things, Mm. an intense feeling of worry or fear or a memory of something bad that did happen that you feel is going to happen again. It's very much a physical sensation of sort of almost jumpiness, but you can also feel really distracted and disconnected. Um, But it's different. It is a persistent feeling of worry and dread. Depression is also a persistent feeling of worry or dread, but it is accompanied by a total loss, usually, of energy, of investment, of caring, of hope. There is no joy or passion in depression. It is absolutely the feeling that someone is sucking the blood out of you Mm. and so often when we're anxious we become depressed because we are so emotionally exhausted we are so constantly taxing ourselves but not always Mm. and when we're depressed we're often anxious because life is so horrible and hard and we think oh my god i can't live this way i'm so worried so it's complicated And I would tell listeners, and again, I'm not a doctor, but if you are showing up at work and absolutely unable to concentrate, if you feel no energy, if you feel no passion, if you feel that there is nothing worth getting excited or happy for, if you ever feel like life isn't worth living, if you wake up in the morning and you just feel like it's so impossible to even brush your teeth. Please get help.
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually, one person I think uh, it was just a phrase they used on on your anxious achiever podcast, uh, and it was a floating sense of dread. I, I just thought, wow, it's a it's a very very powerful way to put it. But it's just so tough for people who have that, and um, and they're kind of trying to get on with life while having to deal with that. That's that's like really tough.
1: There's, um, I just want to say two things. There's, there's what doctors call trait anxiety and state anxiety. And so some of us might go through a really terrible time, something horrific might happen, right? And so we feel that total feeling of dread, but it's situational, right? Mm -hmm. It's based on an event. And, you know, we work through it, we get help, we get therapy. Some of us are born that way. And that's how we're wired. Or because of experiences in our childhood, we feel that way on a regular basis. That's called state anxiety. And I just say that because if you have not been an anxious person, but you are feeling this way, have faith. Because you can work through this. Yeah. I promise.
0: It's really interesting. I mean, you know, obviously I can't remember who actually said it, but I know there's a book written about it. But this whole idea of like, you know, um, your past and the effect it has on your present. And um, I I know in this part of the world, uh, sometimes we do use this phrase like, what's wrong with you? Whereas, you know, changing that to what happened to you uh, is a really subtle, but really powerful, you know.
1: You know, um, Susan Schmidt Winchester wrote a great book called Healing at Work. And um she she has this phrase called adult survivors of a damaged past, mm. ASD, ASDP. And, and her point that I love is that we've all been through stuff. We've all been through trauma, even if we traditionally have not experienced what are called ACEs, adverse childhood events, which is a, a questionnaire that you can actually go take. And it measures markers of childhood trauma that have been statistically proven to have an effect on your life as you grow up, that we've all been through hurts. And we bring that to our our work. We bring our baggage every day. Sometimes I do think of us as like trailing our suitcases (laughs) to the office and we pretend like they're not there, but they're there. And And so, you know, this may sound depressing to people, but I actually think it's really joyful because when we can think of everyone with our various luggage, almost like you're at left luggage at the train station, you know, we can understand that we're not alone, that we all have stuff Mm. and that we can acknowledge it. We don't have to share it all, but we can each individually do work and be open and then hopefully like not act it out reflexively or unconsciously like we tend to, because that's what happens, right? Like therapists love to say, wherever you go, there you are. And um, <laughs> and that's certainly true with our baggage at work.
0: I'm interested because the, the situational piece then, let's go to work, okay? Um, obviously that's, that's where we spend most time is t- talking to people about work and the effect it can have on them. I mean, you say most work is bad for your mental health. <laughs> Uh, you're stretched too thin, you don't have the resources, you don't have boundaries, people are jerks, um, and <laughs> we work in a pa- patriarchal um, biased unjust system. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've had some bad experiences, have you?
1: <laughs> I don't know why everyone's shocked when I say that. I mean, I feel like I'm like, duh, you know, I, I just, every day I talk to people who are telling me horrible stories about how their organizations have treated them. I mean, maybe it's because I do what I do. I don't know about Mm -hmm. you, John, but like people seek me out to tell me they reach out to me over LinkedIn or whatever. And they're like, my company laid me off after 18 years of great service. And they cut off my email an hour later. And escorted me out of the building. Like, you know, I'm literally hearing stories like this. And of course, the the data is there. And we know that systems are toxic. And so I just sort of again, I'm like, let's just accept it. Like, let's not pretend certainly that capitalist corporate structures are healthy for people. Why would we pretend that?
0: Well, honestly, I, I used to uh, training in the, the the States and I remember having a bunch of leaders, leaders of an organization uh, for a few days in, in Washington, uh, D.C. And um, about six months later, I had one of them um, in Buffalo, I think it was. And um, I said to him, so did you learn anything from the course? And he goes, yeah, 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 it was great. And I said, "So, give me an example of what you implemented. And he actually said, well, we used to fire people on the day, but now we give them three days notice. (laughs) Like from a European perspective, like we have lots of laws around this. I couldn't believe it. Like you would be so anxious in that environment. Your boss has
1: all the power. So it's interesting because I, I have a lot of family and friends in the UK who work for multinational corporations and I see the difference between the US mm. and Europe and it's, it's mm. much more humane. I, I feel like I should move to Europe. But, you know, mm. here's the thing. Even if we work in a system that isn't great, our teams can be amazing everyone says you 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 join a company but you leave a boss right yeah. and so we all know that the real magic happens and why people stay at a job is because of the people they're with every day yeah and that's where i do feel change and you know this like that's where i like to focus mm. i don't like to focus too much on the individual because you know it's very easy for companies to give me a license to a tele- telehealth and say go fix yourself that's not good enough. No, and you know the corporate structure at Amazon. Well, I'm not going to have a lot of work changing that. I, oh, sorry, but the team, the team can change.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, for for me, what we see is that there's a lot of pathogens in in workplaces, but if they're balanced with, um, we, we're fans of um, Aaron Antonovsky's work and uh, salutogenesis, uh, which I um, uh, just, you know. The, the whole area of um, having a deep sense of coherence and the like, but trying to increase the amount of um, positives and uh, salutogenic effects in the workplace and obviously people and the support you get from uh, people around you uh, is a, a perfect way of doing that. Increasing resources in that regard. So that that's how you survive those um, stressor rich environments uh, as you say but i'm interested too because I, I obviously the manager and you said it the managers have a huge uh, impact on uh, the people around them um so if you have a very anxious manager is that bad news
1: yeah well that's interesting right uh and speaking as someone who is an anxious manager <laughs> it, it doesn't have to be you know okay. i mean again, it all depends on self-awareness, right? What What is one of the most desired leadership qualities? It's self-awareness. And so you can be an extremely anxious person. You can be perfectionistic. You can be a control freak. That's different if you're in touch with it and you can say to your team, listen, I'm a control freak. I get very very anxious when this set of conditions happen and I might, I might start acting like this. You might see me in your inbox a little bit more. I might bother you. You can tell me, okay? That's super different than an anxious leader who is not in touch with it and who just acts it out and we all know that leader.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, I mean people are people. If you're anxious, you might be anxious and you might be great at your job because you're very attuned and you're very driven and you're very very um attentive to details and 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 fired up and all that good stuff so it's really about your level of self-awareness and how you treat the people around you
0: Mm, it's funny i was i was dealing with one company recently and uh to me how you bonus your managers and what what you're looking for from them is pretty important They've actually decided that 50% of the bonus that the manager gets uh, relates to the health and well-being of their team, which I think how is do... so progressive, isn't it? So oh, when gosh, that I... manager says, how are you? <laughs> he really actually cares about the answer because <laughs> it uh, finds its way into his pay How bucket. do they measure that? Um, Survey.
1: Yeah.
0: Survey so... on a constant basis. Yeah. Yeah. So they have the trend data. And they know exactly how the team are. So um, they just say that it's so important that the team are healthy and well. And um, that's a reflection of the manager. So I love that.
1: I love that. But who asked the manager, how are you?
0: Oh, well, there you go. There's obviously layers, aren't there? But you're right. I mean, oftentimes they can be the the squeezed middle. And we see that with the data in organizations all over the place. And, and they are also you know, their job has changed fundamentally. So it's it's really hard because they're um, losing a lot of their power. They used to have power with communication and information, whereas now the leaders of organizations through you know Slack and all that are directly communicating with people. So mm-hmm. and then the roles are changing and now the people aren't in front of them anymore. They've lost the control there. People are working remotely. So that's a hard it's a hard gig. But I'm just interested in obviously your focus now is on those those leaders and those really high achievers and the like. So how, how do you think leadership has changed in the post-pandemic world? And, and actually, I'll add to that, is it actually, you know, nearly essential to be anxious if you're a leader because you're dealing with so much uncertainty?
1: Technically, yes. I mean, you're paid to be anxious, right? If part of anxiety is anticipating, you know, it's like chess, right? All the different scenarios. If I win, if I lose, if there's a global pandemic, if interest rates go up 5%. So absolutely, right? Your job as a leader is to scenario plan. And that's where anxiety can be incredibly helpful. You know, part of what you learn when you have chronic anxiety is you learn to manage it and give it a job. And so, you know, I've worked with lots of leaders who have that 3 a.m. swirl in their heads. And rather than sort of sitting and stewing and ruminating, get up, externalize the anxiety, put it on a piece of paper, make it a plan. And really try to give—I always say—give your anxiety a job. Yeah. Um, and so it's not—it's it, not bad to be anxious when you're a leader. It can be emotionally exhausting if you don't take care of yourself. But it's not—I don't like to call it bad or good. Anxiety is not bad or good. It is. Um, I think I think the job of leadership has changed so much. I don't think that, when I think of leader, though, I don't think of the person with the fancy title, though. I think of people in an organization who cultivate influence and do great work, right? And that can be all across an organization. But it's definitely true that in a world where factors feel out of our control, where we can't see people where things are so dispersed, we have to become better communicators. And I think that that is something actually that makes a lot of leaders anxious. And uh, we have to learn how to communicate very, very differently in the age. And that is something that we need to train our leaders to do, because, you know, when there's a gap in communication, when there's a vacuum, when people don't know what's going on, anxiety whooshes in to fill that vacuum. And so good leaders know how to not let that vacuum happen or to manage it.
0: And in terms of um, leaders being authentic and actually opening up. About their own struggles, um, is it? Yeah, because it was in in the book you mentioned Amy uh, Cuddy's uh, work in, in terms of this, and I think it's an interesting sort of nuance. It's not about sort of just letting it all flow out and sort of say this is it, I'm a mess. Uh, it's actually this balance between sort of being slightly in control but also being vulnerable at the same time. So that that kind of strength piece. Could you talk into that a little bit?
1: yeah competence and strength or warmth and competence um when you're when you're a leader right you have to create to, to use a therapy term you have to create a holding environment right you have to be able to create a coherence for your team and what's really hard right now is that if if you said to your team I know exactly what's going to happen. Everything's going to be fine. The people above you have all the answers. Don't worry. They wouldn't believe you. They would know you were lying. (laughs) So you have to get a little bit more adept, and I think we learned this in the pandemic in real time, at acknowledging the uncertainty, the vulnerability inherent in where we live right now. But keeping people feeling like you will guide and protect them to the best of your ability. And so it's a little bit of vulnerability in that I don't have a crystal ball. I don't have, I cannot promise you that we won't get laid off. I cannot promise you that. But here's what I know. Here's what we're going to do. And I'm with you. And so I think that that is, again, that's really, really challenging because of course we're people too and leaders, we get anxious. So many senior leaders are getting complete, they're they're the ones getting laid off, right? And so how do you manage your own anxiety while showing up for your team with strength? It's a lot like being a parent when you're as a parent terrified, but you know that you can't let your kids into everything, but but you do want to share that things aren't, maybe a hundred percent. OK,
0: mm. Chip Connolly, I think uh, when, when you were interviewing him, he was talking about like that, that these CEOs nearly need to go away to their own space so they can talk to each other about all the struggles they're actually having, which I think yeah. is, is kind of fascinating. And um, so I suppose moving into that space then of sort of saying that the, the problem is unmanaged anxiety where you're letting it yep. just run ruin on your life and um, it's having a debilitating effect. So then how do you make that shift? into actually starting to actively manage your anxiety?
1: I think you should go to therapy personally or get, you know, help. Uh, You know, some people use coaching. Some people reach out to their spiritual community, their faith community. You know, and this is like very chic in leadership, right? I mean, it's very, very... very very aspirational i think for leaders who have access to resources to get help in being reflective and and looking into themselves and their motivations and all that and i actually think that's great i think that's amazing um because when you have access to how you have been trained to react to anxious situations that's when you can begin to change it, right? You know, one of the things that I think is really remarkable and worth remembering is that when it comes to what makes us anxious, we're never going to be able to control the triggers, right? Mm. Because we can't control the world. We can't control other people. What we can learn to manage is how we react. And when you know that, it is an incredibly powerful thing. Mm. It's so powerful. Mm. And funny. and that, Sorry, yeah. go ahead.
0: No, you go, you go. No, I was, I was just going to say, like, uh, one of the things, like, I, I would have um, hated flying uh, for, for many years, like, um, ridiculous, like, I, I, I'd i need a double gin and tonic before I could step on a plane, um, and I never thought I'd be able to get over that, but I've actually got over that, and I've actually managed to pass it on to other people who weren't scared of flying, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> My my wife and uh, her mother, um, but uh, also then uh, the other the other fear I I um, struggle with hugely is um, elevators. I can't use them and I feel so stupid uh, when I'm in a situation like I, I remember been in New York and there was a, a major party on with everybody who um, in a, in a particular business community, but it was on the thirty seventh floor, and um, I would have walked but um, I wasn't allowed to walk for security reasons. So I had to walk away from that event, which seemingly was great, Uh, but that was was really horrible. But um, I was trying to hope this moment would come where the fear would reduce in me, but uh, I can't remember who said it, but they said it's not about reducing the fear, it's about increasing the courage. And um, to me, that was really sort of important, and it did make me step into more elevators even though I hate it, just being claustrophobic, you know?
1: Well, totally. I'm I i I'm actually finally able to fly completely, mostly unmedicated. You know, the thing is, there's cognitive behavioral therapy for that kind of phobia. Mm. There's actually, I'm just going to say, there's a fabulous book called Panic Free mm. by Captain Tom Bunn, B-U-N-N, and he's an airline pilot who has oh. become a, a, a therapist and he has an incredible panic reduction. Um, it's it, using your vagal nerve and um, it, it, it has helped me be able to fly and be in my thing is, is subways underground. I was just oh, yeah, in London yeah. oh, and I took the tube with my daughter everywhere and I was so proud of myself. Um, so, so I would say to you, challenge you like, Go do a round of CBT, learn these techniques. Yeah. Because again, like this is evidence-based stuff. We all have our things. I'll never forget I was in a really senior. This is back when I was a political consultant. I was working on a gubernatorial race and I was in a meeting of big New York executives who were supporting a candidate. And they were all joking about how much ambient they took every night to sleep. Wow. And I looked, I looked around the room and I'm like, these guys are like out of their minds with anxiety and what they're really saying is like I'm so anxious I have to take two Ambien every night to sleep (laughs) and they're joking about it right and I'm like what is like what does this say you know I'm just sitting here so we all have our stuff
0: Mm. and for most for a lot of people it's alcohol isn't it that that, that's how they manage their anxiety they just you know um and most
1: of us most really of us, long-term
0: yeah. debilitating effects and
1: food so, food and alcohol and
0: yeah. food too oh, okay 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 um so the the I love that final question you kind of ask in the book um how can you get out um when you are hurting um and everything feels hopeless and scary how can you take one step towards freedom and mental health and uh, joy? Uh, when you feel locked in and overwhelmed. Ooh, when you put it that way, it's kind of scary. And the whole bu- book kind of brilliantly ends with this idea of, you know, is your anxiety robbing your joy in life? And how do you reclaim that joy? So without giving the whole book away.
1: <laughs> how do you reclaim that joy? Yeah. You get help. You take yourself seriously. You learn skills. I always say the answers are really boring. They're boring. It's, it's like, again, like, like Captain Tom says, it's learning skills. (laughs) It's practicing, you know, like every time I have a friend who lives in New York city and she developed claustrophobia during the pandemic. And, and she, she, she like, literally, she's like, I felt like I had to go to school. I had to practice. I had to learn these skills. Like I have to exercise. I have to rest. I have to try to sleep. I have to, journal i have to like it's not interesting or fun it's a discipline it's an exploration it's learning and that's what makes the difference and for me a life without joy is a life without living like i don't mind if life is hard i acknowledge that i have mental illness and i'm just gonna have some really hard times but if i can never even find joy in watching my daughter Or, you know, going out in my garden or watching something really funny on Netflix. What's the point? And so I I have made cultivating joy, even if it's tiny little increments of joy, something that I actually know how to do. Hmm.
0: And so for the leader, finally, just if you could kind of get all these leaders who are there and they have a huge opportunity to, to change the dynamic and to change the environments. um. And we're talking more and more about psychologically safe uh, environments. What would you kind of say to them if you could give them kind of a couple of things to kind of do that just make a big, big difference? What would it be?
1: I would tell them to get excited and get curious. What makes you tick? What makes you feel joyful? What makes you feel confident? What makes you feel anxious? Right? I would ask them. To sort of play detective of their own self, of their own motivation, and to not be scared of the answers. To really look at this as a chance to, like, what's what's a real leadership term to 10x their performance, right?
0: Don't don't go there. I I know it's disgusting,
1: (laughs) but but really, I think that we totally need to reframe looking into our past, our mental health, what triggers us as a true opportunity to grow and learn and change and be better rather than something that we drink away or we ambient away or we just act out with really controlling and micromanaging and crummy behavior. Because it is truly transformational, right? And also to acknowledge, like, how amazing would it be to step into a world that is scary and awful and hard and react differently
0: Uh, well hopefully those leaders will do just that um because they have such (laughs) such an opportunity and and you know i think the the key that i've learned anyway from everything i've read that you've written and everything i've listened to in terms of your brilliant podcast is that the, the trick is just to recognize where you are in terms of that spectrum that you talk about and uh, to then match that with um, an understanding so that you can actually start to actively manage uh, the anxiety that you face. And if it is at, at the, the medical end that you get treatment, uh, that's really yeah. important. But I think there are techniques um, and you've very clearly in the, the book gone through um, some of those and they do work. They do work, so um, I'm I'm living proof that you can actually get over this And and I am going to beat that uh, elevator one in my claustrophobia because the big thing for me is the um, my my two uh, daughters, uh, not my son, funnily enough, but my two daughters are actually also now nervous of elevators, and I don't want to to pass that on to them, you know. So I want to show exactly. them we can beat it together.
1: Exactly. And, and, and you know, I, I would just leave people with this, you know, if you're wondering where am I on that spectrum, right? I, I, I know that I feel anxious. Start paying attention. And, and I use your body as the tool. Start paying attention to how your body feels throughout the day. Think about where in your body you tend to get tense. Think about how your stomach feels. Think about how your appetite is. Think about your sleep. And actually think about meetings that you might feel extra nervous before think about is there a person whose name pops up in your email inbox <laughs> who gives you we all have that, that gives you that dread that jolt start tuning in because you're going to see patterns and you're going to start realizing wow this makes this makes me anxious this is a clue yeah
0: no you're absolutely right the the patterns are key and the other thing actually you said it and and when you were going through this before in your podcast the jaw your job yeah. and actually for Whew. some reason that just hit it with me and i was going wow yeah that's right yeah so listen um i really appreciate you taking the time out to to chat today and uh, your work is brilliant i love it and your podcast is fantastic so i'd recommend everybody to tune into the anxious achiever and and to read the book keep up the brilliant work
1: oh thanks john you too thank,
0: thank you so much all right <laughs> take care be well So there you have it. As Maura says, anxiety itself is good data and it can push us to check in with ourselves and change things that maybe aren't quite working for us and hopefully bring extra drive and energy to our lives. It's about uh, using our anxiety better. I really hope you enjoyed our conversation and do tune in to Maura's podcast, The Anxious Achiever. Now, if you have any ideas on topics you'd love us to feature next, please do get in touch. You can follow and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, work healthy.